welcome to the ID Talk podcast. My name is Peter Counter, and I am the editor-in-chief of Fine Biometrics, where November is Face Biometrics Month, a four-week deep dive into the most popular and controversial biometric modality. That's why on this episode of the ID Talk podcast, I am pleased to present my interview with Bob Eckel, CEO of Aware, and Rob Mungovan, the company's chief commercial officer. Our conversation begins on the topic of biometric face authentication, how it can be bolstered by speaker recognition, as exemplified in Aware's Nomi solution, and the importance of third-party liveness detection testing. Our talk shifts to the controversy surrounding face biometrics used for surveillance, and the best ways to educate the public about privacy, consent, and the safe uses of facial recognition technology. Finally, we take a look at the real-life applications of face biometrics, specifically with the example of Aware's recent Nomi integration with Marquee Software for the purposes of offender management in Arkansas. It's a fascinating conversation about a crucial topic in identity management and biometrics, so without further ado, I am proud to present Aware CEO Bob Eckel and Aware Chief Commercial Officer Rob Mungovan right here on the ID Talk podcast. I am joined today by Bob Eckel, CEO of Aware, and Rob Mungovan, the company's chief commercial officer. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today on ID Talk. Thanks for having us, Peter. Great to be here. So today we'll be talking about facial recognition. Face biometrics are a component of Aware's multimodal Nomi solution, which also leverages voice recognition. My first question for you is, why do face and voice recognition fit together so naturally, and what are the top three benefits of utilizing both capabilities? All right. Hi, Peter. It's Rob. Um, So first of all, we don't use the term voice recognition because that term is typically used for a machine interpreting what you're saying to it, so interpreting your language. We use the word speaker recognition because speaker recognition is the, the true biometric. It recognizes my voice versus your voice. It's about, so, and, and, uh, so we use the term speaker recognition. And when you're thinking about mobile use cases, which is really our target, it doesn't have to be constrained to mobile, but when you think about mobile UK use cases, you're thinking about a person's phone or possibly tablet. And when you consider what the sensors are on these devices, They happen to be a camera, right? And they happen to be a microphone. And these are two things that are accessible for software developers and algorithm developers such as Aware to take advantage of these sensors. And so it works quite well when you design an app to encourage someone to authenticate with either their face because the camera is readily available and or their voice because their voice is also readily available through the microphone. And so you can exploit those in a way to make really seamless, um, secure, passwordless authentication. It can be multimodal as well. And so we like the concept of multimodal on a mobile platform because there's a couple of advantages provided by it. One is that if you take two different samples of a person, example, their face and their voice, you have inherently a stronger authentication because it's less likely that the voice is someone else's and it's less likely that the face is someone else's so when you have two samples you have a much higher authentication rate or lower false uh, reject rate as well the other thing to keep in mind is that when one of the samples is weak like let's say you're out in a bright parking lot and you're trying to authenticate to your phone from your face and for some reason there's 
a reflection off of something and it's impacting the ability of the software to a capture your face or to authenticate it you have another modality you have voice so when one of the signals is weak the other one typically can contribute to make the overall authentication stronger and, and the, the same holds true with voice so let's say you're in a noisy restaurant and you're trying to authenticate with your voice there might be background noise uh, which makes the voice signal your voice weaker to be authenticated but ideally the face would be used in that case so you you have this trade-off between face and voice the only thing i would add to it maybe uh, rob would be the face and voice authentication could be used serially for multi-factor or it can be used in either order uh, yeah. or at the end can be fused for an even higher authentication level yeah so that's a good point bob if you had use cases whereby you had to have super strong authentication in a, in a controlled environment. Like let's say a controller or a CFO in a company wishes to initiate a money transfer uh, from one account to another through a laptop or a tablet or a phone, you might enforce the two-factor authentication. And it's, it's actually also three because typically there's a pin and then there's a, a voice and then there's a face. So you can sort of escalate the level of security based on the use case of, uh, of the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, and in addition to that scalable security that you're mentioning and just the inherent increased security of multimodal biometrics, uh, your Nomi solution recently achieved a major liveness detection milestone. It passed the level two iBeta presentation attack detection test, the PAD test. And my second question for you then is, what was the process of undergoing and passing this assessment? And why is this, this test so important? Okay, good questions. So it's important to note that iBeta has picked up the ISO standards or ISO standard, it's a multi-part standard for what's called presentation, biometric presentation attack detection. It's, it's actually called ISO IEC 30107. And these are guidelines. This the ISO publishes guidelines on how you implement the testing protocols and what things you should test for. And so what iBeta has done as a commercial entity has picked up that document and then also adopted some of the FIDO standards for the creation of tests to determine the viability of third parties like AWARE, third parties uh, presentation attack detection algorithms. In this case, we're talking specifically about face. They don't have one for voice, although we do have voice uh, presentation attack detection technology as well. And in the case of iBeta, there's two levels of certification that they provide. There's level one and level two. Level one is uh, relatively simple tests. The presentation attacks are typically printed hard copies or digital still images. Level two is more sophisticated. And what it is is videos, so videos play back from phones and or masks, reasonably sophisticated masks, not terribly sophisticated. And so we've achieved level one and level two certification for both iPhone and Android phones. And we successfully detected all of their presentation attacks. And so this is significant because of the fact that this is a, this is a more stringent test that they've adopted. And we were the first company to uh, pass this more stringent test for level one and level two on both the Android platform and on the iOS platform. And it's, it's also important to note that 
there's an important part of the test which is not reported, which is the false reject rate, which is in a real world scenario for presentation attack detection. False reject rate is a very, very important metric because what it does is it speaks to the convenience of the application because false reject rate means the algorithm falsely rejected my face because he thought I was a spoof. And this is, this is very common, this happens. And the public certification doesn't specifically stipulate what the false reject rate was, but I wanna just say, we successfully detected all the attacks and had a very low false reject rate. So the process itself was a lot of back and forth. It takes time. They have a lot of attacks that they present to our software. Occasionally, they would ask us a question or two. We might tweak a parameter or, or, or so. But ultimately, we, we passed and we received the certification. And it's important because the community, the world, the consumers of these applications are really desiring to know how well you perform and they don't want to assume that risk they don't have the wherewithal to perform their own testing so ibeta performs a you know valuable service both to the vendors and to the consumers of the technology yeah and just to add to that rob that was that was good thank you is that we took this on using our own internal funds to make it so that anybody that uses our technology can feel comfortable in it and don't have to go through the questions or the testing themselves or request that. So it'll speed up the process as well for them. Absolutely, and it, it there is quite a bit of value, uh, especially in, in our industry and in having that third-party assurance. And you know, you're, you're mentioning the FRR being such an important part and that does fit into user experience which brings me to to kind of think about our current pandemic related hygiene precautions and how those are affecting user experience and my question for you is how are those hygiene precautions affecting the demand specifically for nomi yeah good question peter so we, we've definitely seen an increase in demand we see a strong desire from certain vertical markets for contactless and touchless authentication. And so Nomi, by virtue of the fact that it's face and voice, it requires no contact with a device or with a sensor explicitly, you know, by contact, I mean touch contact. And then there's also this, as you note, as everyone realizes now, there's this concept of virtual meetings and virtual participation in the economy. And what we're seeing is that we have customers that started ramping up their, their usage of Nomi significantly over the past six to nine months, and it ex explicitly aligns with the advent of COVID because uh, their customers, where they, when they integrate our technology into their applications, their customers are able to do things remotely, authenticate the services remotely, and enroll for services remotely and do this all in a sort of a non-contact way. No, no need to visit a, a bricks and mortar facility. So we've definitely seen an uptick in an interest in, in the Nomi product line since uh, COVID-19 started. Bob, did you have anything to add? No, I just think that the application goes beyond financial services. You can see in everyday use, it's just becoming like a buzzword, you know, touchless. How can we do it? And then also our, capability and one of the reasons that 
voice can be so important, and Rob mentioned speaker recognition, is you get that added security or added assessment uh, if an individual has a mask on because you don't have the whole face. So you can do the face plus the voice, and depending on what you have access to or what transaction you want to make, gives you the next level or just using speaker recognition itself. Um, so Nomi can handle, again, both one one mode or a fused mode to give you the, the confidence that's needed. And that's, you know, as something that we've all been dealing with right now, we're recording this nine months into the pandemic, we've all had the frustration of just trying to log into our phones while wearing face masks. And so it's nice to have that flexibility. Are you or your customers struggling to remotely open or access banking or financial accounts securely and conveniently through mobile devices? Identity theft and large-scale data breaches are more common than ever, and passwords can no longer meet the challenge of keeping our finances and accounts safe. Aware's Nomi offering aims to fix that by harnessing the security of biometrics with the convenience of mobile devices to grant access to financial assets without passwords. Nomi uses what is unique to your identity, your face and voice to protect the identity and security of account holders. And with state-of-the-art passive liveness detection for both face and voice, Nomi stops fraud attempts dead in their tracks. For more about what Nomi can do to protect you or your company's financial security and enhance the mobile convenience of your customers, please visit www.aware.com today. And now, back to the podcast. I want to take a, a bit of a pivot here because you know we're we're talking about facial recognition today, and there is another aspect to it that I think really right now demands some comment uh, from experts. So thanks to the unethical use of facial recognition by authoritarian governments, the technology is really controversial as a topic in the mainstream media. But obviously, you know, I know, surveillance technology is not the same as the security technology that we've been talking about today. And so my question is, how is face-based authentication different from face-based surveillance? Oh, geez, you give me a real easy one, huh? So, <laughs> uh, well, uh, this is such an important question because it touches on uh, the misconceptions that exist in the general public today. So let's start with uh, face-based uh, authentication. It, it's sometimes referred to simply as facial authentication or facial recognition. It's basically performed using a one-to-one -one individual search technology. So that's where you compare one image presented your face or your voice to the record of your face and determining whether there's a match or not. So this is, you know, this is used in instances or cases where the individual, this is the key point, has opted into a service and therefore their image or voice or their biometric exists in a known gallery. And this is to be used for, you know, real world problems solving the machine human interface and we just talked about uh, a minute ago access to your accounts and stuff on your phone this is instead of bearing the burden of remembering your passwords uh, forgetting them or having them compromised you can use your face as a means of authentication it's natural it's convenient and secure so think of it in terms of you know using your face to log into your smartphone 
make a transaction in your banking app that Rob mentioned earlier. In that example, you enrolled at some point, meaning you took the first photograph, you opted to be in, and you agreed to allow facial recognition technology to authenticate you as a user. So it's about the user and um, the user being able to control the situation. Surveillance, on the other hand, is performed using a one-to-many search technology that scans faces to find the one that's being searched for. So think of it in terms of you know closed-circuit television footage to identify people in a crowd or traffic cameras to identify people that drive by. This is the controversial because it's often done without the individual's consent uh, or even a knowledge that they're being surveilled. So when it's used in this manner, the surveillance manner, it can be subject to abuse or unethical use, and that's why AWARE is not in the surveillance business. So this is just not something we undertake. So, so I think hopefully I clarified the difference between the two and the importance uh, distinction. Yeah, people are concerned. I've seen reports that suggest people are concerned about, you know, misidentification of people. So this is, you know, this is Rob. We saw you at this location at this time. You came up as the number one hit in our face recognition algorithm. In, a, in an authentication mode, it can't be abused because either you authenticate or you don't. And it becomes inconvenient if you don't authenticate, but it doesn't become a situation where you're being accused of being somewhere because the algorithm had a weakness for some reason or other. So that's just the, the one thing I'd like to add. It puts the control back into the individual's hands, which is a key differentiator. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and going off of that, because uh, Bobby specifically did mention consent, and obviously surveillance isn't the only privacy concern that's facing citizens and users of, of technology. My second question in this, in this line is, what are the privacy pitfalls that do exist with face authentication? And how can organizations make sure that the technology is implemented only in a privacy-enhancing manner? That's a, that's a good question that, you know, privacy concerns, they're a real aspect of our world and it must be respected and protected by the individual, but also by the groups that are using them. So that's why there's so many privacy laws around data and specifically around the use of personally identifiable information or data by third parties or PII. And you see a lot of things that you have to consent to. So biometric data doesn't provide any more privacy risk than any other PII does. And we believe, in fact, that it's even more secure because it's much harder to compromise or spoof your look or your biometrics or the combination of your biometrics. So that said, though, organizations can help make sure that this technology is implemented only in a privacy-enhancing way by requiring a consent or the ability to opt in you know, as I mentioned earlier, before using the technology on anyone. And it's just not about the opt-in. It's also about the transparency, as Rob mentioned, making sure the individual knows that their data is being used or stored or shared. And, and one of the things, being able to opt-in as an individual being critical, you see it now when you use your phone, it says, um, do you agree to use the location services on your mobile phone for this application? The same could be said for biometrics. You know, Do you agree to use your biometrics for this particular application? Or 
So, you know, again, I'll just repeat again, we at AWARE believe that it's an individual's right to own their identity. So we're really focusing on, on that. But it's, but it's important, again, to be able to opt in and also to understand if it's being used, as Rob pointed out earlier. Yeah, and then there are, Peter, there's, there's also guidelines, data protection guidelines or regulations in various regions of the world that vendors such as AWARE are obligated to comply with, and we seek to do that, and we do that when it's required. So there's oversight, you know, primarily at the government levels that and they provide guidelines for which vendors of the technology and consumers of the technology, such as financial services or citizen services, need to comply with. And so our goal is to continue to comply with those uh, international regulations where they apply to our technology. Yeah, and, and that, that actually leads really well into what I want to talk about next. You know, Bob, you mentioned transparency. And uh, and obviously, Rob, you're just talking about the the regulations out there that are important for people to to follow. I know that from a relying party standpoint, there's a lot of education that needs to go into understanding what your responsibility is when it comes to data protection. And on a larger scale, it does also seem like a major hurdle in public perception around the issue of surveillance versus authentication is awareness and education. And so my question is, how can privacy advocates and security experts help differentiate between the in the wild image identification or the one to many biometric surveillance and biometric authentication? The first step is to acknowledge or educate, right, on the difference between facial recognition or authentication and surveillance. So that's uh, one part of the organization IBIA, which is working to continue to work to get that education and understanding out there, you know, the clarification relative to biometrics. So understanding that facial authentication surveillance aren't the same thing, and the words aren't interchangeable. This is the challenge as an industry, and that's why IBIA and others, we get together as biometric companies to talk about this, to communicate the distinction so that our, you know, life enhancing products using biometrics aren't misused or mishandled. And so we can simply differentiate between proper biometric identification in the wild scenario. All you have to do in all these cases is ask the individual or did the individual opt in? Did they give consent for their face or their biometrics to be used as a means to identify them? If the answer is yes, you've got a legitimate use uh, for biometric authentication. If the answer is no, it's likely a questionable use case. As Rob pointed out, all of a sudden you're uh, being alarmed by something happening and you didn't even opt into that. So both the um, privacy advocates and security experts as well as organizations are critical uh, to get this out and to make sure that we have uh, the freedoms that we continue to enjoy in our open society. So we need to make sure that as these things are being written or understood, it really comes down to is the individual aware of what's going on and do the advocates know and, and promote that or are they doing something um, in, in a kind of a covert surveillance way that uh, that people aren't aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, transparency does seem to be the key there. Uh, absolutely. Rob, did you have anything to add? 
I think Bob hit all the most important points. It's about A, uh, education, and then B, it's about this concept of opt-in. You give your permission. Why do you give your permission? You give your permission because the biometrics can be extremely convenient to use. You don't have to remember a password, and it can be more secure, you know, particularly if you have a liveness or anti-spoofing associated with the biometrics. So it's generally to the benefit of the consumer to adopt some of these technologies. And as long as they opt in and the vendors comply with their local regulations, I think it's somewhat easy to differentiate between this concept of surveillance and one-to-one -one authentication. Is your company struggling to provide secure and convenient access to a large remote workforce? With large-scale data breaches and fraud on the rise, providing secure access to your company's digital assets is of critical importance. And frequent password changes or static password management are no longer the best way to protect what matters most. Aware's Nomi offering harnesses the power of biometrics and everyday mobile devices to protect your company's sensitive data without the need for passwords. It uses a combination of face and speaker recognition to grant access to your workforce safely and conveniently. Nomi applies state-of-the-art liveness detection for both face and voice. Tested and confirmed as ISO compliant by an independent lab, it stops any fraud attempts dead in their tracks. Visit www.aware.com today to learn more about what Nomi can do for you. And now, back to the podcast. Up until now in this conversation, we've really been talking about some sort of like high level concepts and the base technologies, but I want to sort of take a, a moment to focus on real world applications and use cases. You know, the newest version of Nomi was recently deployed by Marquee Software for the authentication of offenders in Arkansas. Uh, to me, this is a, a very fascinating use case. You don't hear about offender authentication uh, all that often. And so I'm wondering, how does Nomi work within the Marquee offender management system? And what unique benefits does it bring to that scenario? Marquee makes a product that's called uh, an offender management system. And this is to help state and local governments supervise parolees, people that were either A, convicted of some criminal offense, typically these are low risk offenders and they either spent some time incarcerated or they didn't, but they need to check in with the government and comply with certain rules and regulations. And so Marquis developed this concept of a virtual supervision for certain types of these offenders, whereby they can do this remotely without having to go into a bricks and mortar state office. And what's interesting is that the advent of COVID just expanded the utilization of Nomi in uh, Marquis application significantly and very quickly because the case that we cited recently, the state of Arkansas uh, in the U.S. has about 70 physical locations where the parolees were prior to the adoption of the Nomi in the virtual supervision application they were obligated to go and check in and comply with certain rules and regulations, make payments, you know, pass certain tests. And so with this application, these offenders are able to, to report in 
because they provide their face and their voice and they their face and their voice is linked to their phone and they provide their coordinates and they opt into this or maybe they don't opt into us but it's better than having to go into a, a physical location so the supervisor is able to determine that this person has indeed checked in complied with certain rules and regulations and they're within you know they're within the state or the county that they're obligated to remain in during the course of their uh, parole additionally the system is uh, enables them to make payments fulfill these certain financial obligations that they have and in 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 the application has certain other benefits that allows them to connect with treat drug treatment programs and things of that nature so it's a really interesting use case and it's two factors so it's face plus voice and they seem to really appreciate the concept of the two-factor uh, authentication in their in their virtual supervision app. Yeah, and it also uh, takes into the you know the location of the phone. So now you get multiple multiple type things going on, and the speaker recognition along with that gives them the confidence it is the person. They are in the vicinity, and it uh, it it also has a benefit longer term, of course, in uh, manpower as well for uh, for the states and, and for the users of it. Yeah, it's really fascinating that you mentioned that because um, obviously there is a huge demand for something that can take a, a bricks and mortar scenario and, and move it remotely. Um, but there was this digital transformation trend before the pandemic that uh, has just sort of been accelerated. And so it seems pretty obvious to me that this this was just the next step that is even more convenient now, but uh, is something that uh, is just going to improve the situation after the fact. Um, and sort of on that note, strong authentication is aiding in digital transformation across almost every industry. Uh, and that includes healthcare, education, retail, finance. And I'm wondering what are some other use cases that AWARE has seen success with? So we've seen success in the areas of what we call digital onboarding um, for certain services um, or privileges. These would include what are typically called citizen e-services. So applying for a driver's license as an example or driving or applying for a passport or something of that nature, but also applying for bank accounts. In uh, certain countries now where some of our customers operate, the central banks have allowed for the opening of new bank accounts without ever entering a brick and mortar uh, bank location. And so this is one use case, digital onboarding with face and a, and a government issued document that gets uploaded as part of the application process. The selfie, your face is presented to the application and compared to the face on the document. The document itself is checked for certain requirements to ensure its authenticity. And then additionally, the selfie is is checked for liveness to ensure that it is in fact a live person that's applying for the service. And then once the person is onboarded, they can use that same face image or voice image or both to log in and access their account for transfers, for credit applications, et cetera. So we see it big in financial services in certain regions of the world. We've also seen it in retail, which is the use case that I'm thinking about in retail is in-store credit applications, where it's supervised by a, a, a store employee, but 
the employees soliciting the shoppers in the in the retail outlet, asking them if they want to apply for instant credit because there's some incentive that's being, you know, extended on that given day, a low interest rates or something. And so this requires that they again take a picture of an identity card. This is the the uh, store employee takes a picture of the consumer's identity card, takes a picture of their face. Uh, checks their creditworthiness against that that store that chain, and then ultimately makes a determination of whether or not to extend to them instant credit or not. So those those are some of the use cases that that I know that our customers are using the software for. Yeah, and and it can be extended. I mean, it gives you the security and the uh, peace of mind, but also it could help in knocking some of the friction down. You know, like uh, use cases in renting a car. Uh, being able to get through, you're a trusted renter, you know, you're part of the trusted network that you've opted into. So just extending to, you know, once you opt in and once, you know, and a lot of times using the facial, there's a lot of cameras anyways and, and other ways to do that. So you don't have to add a lot of infrastructure to take advantage of it in these other areas. Those are all really fascinating use cases, uh, especially that car rental one and and very much the retail space as well. And of course, the digital onboarding is is in line with a, a major trend that we're seeing. So uh, fantastic. And that sort of brings me to my final question here, which is what's next for Aware in the coming months? Well, I mean, first thing is, you know, as you know, the world's experiencing uh, unprecedented changes necessary to cope with uh, COVID-19 and the pan pandemic. What we're finding or what we believe is the industry is an important role to play in here to keep people safe and enable immediate modes of interaction. We also see that this is going to be here to stay. We believe in a lot of cases the touchless and being able to do things more frictionlessly um, as we provide and we're focused on providing digital biometric identity management services that that can be trusted to enable these things to happen more effectively, more efficiently, and as secure or higher secure. So, you know, as we continue to strive towards our vision, you know, we want to be the company that brings biometrics to life and positively impact life through biometrics. We're working on uh, expanding our family of offerings to empower users to own and control their identity. That's an important one that I talked about, users and individuals. And maintain a frictionless, high security, maximizing the convenience and getting to know your customer when you decide as an individual and there's a, a mutual benefit both from the business and the individual. So uh, collectively, we see a lot of things that this pandemic have brought upon us that are going to be here to stay. And we just see it now with the more and more usage because they're finding out that they can actually make the transactions unproctored and not actually have to go and use the manpower to log somebody in and do those things. So Bob's right. We, we see the adoption of biometric-based authentication growing. In the COVID-19 situation, it seems to have uh, accelerated that interest. But it's also interesting to understand that the typical consumers of the technologies are reasonably large, well-funded organizations such as governments or financial institutions or retail outlets or car rental agencies, as an example. 
So the question is, how do you provide the technology, the capability to smaller organizations that perhaps don't have the resources to stand up a full system in their data center, but still want to take advantage of the technology? So our vision is to start to bring this into a SaaS-based platform, a cloud-based offering that will allow certain of our customers to access the the aware technology with lesser investment and certainly the advantages of a SaaS approach is that you don't have to pay for them for the infrastructure or maintain it. So that's kind of where we're, we're heading with, with our technology and our products. Fantastic. Well, it's extremely exciting. Uh, and uh, we'll be covering that all uh, very closely. How can listeners get in touch with you to find out more about the topics that we discussed today? Listeners can learn about uh, more about AWARE or the topics. Uh, they can visit our website at aware.com or connecting with us through social media. We're on Twitter at, at Aware Biometrics and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash company slash aware dash inc. Thank you so much, Bob and Rob, for, for joining me on ID Talk today. Very fascinating conversation about facial recognition. And I hope to have you back on the podcast again soon. I appreciate your uh, hosting it and uh, spending your time with the questions and, and, you know, really taking this industry seriously because it is going to shape the way we, we live. Peter, thanks for your time. Good questions. Very engaging. Much appreciated. And so concludes my conversation with AWARE CEO Bob Eckel and AWARE Chief Commercial Officer Rob Mungovan. To learn more about the topics discussed in this episode, visit www.aware.com. And to find more Face Biometrics Month featured content, visit findbiometrics.com. I would like to thank Bob and Rob once again for joining me on this episode. Our podcast theme music is by Logamrad. I have been your host, Peter Counter. Thank you for listening to the ID Talk podcast. Mm-hmm.